Hello, and welcome to Brave Talk Podcast. I am your host, Miranda Gullett. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. Hello, listeners. Um, today, I'm going to, it's our pilot episode, um, and I'm going to share uh, my story of when I went to India. Basically, failure in India is what we should title this thing as opposed to pilot. Um, so I'm going to go first in talking bravely. Uh, this was a uh, one of the most significant things that's ever happened in my life. And one of the most important to me and something that six years later, I'm still unpacking for its effects on me, its effects on my marriage, its effects on my health, um, on my relationship with the Lord, and um, its effects on how I get involved with other things presently and in the future. So jumping in, um, I first learned about human trafficking in the context of red light districts in Mumbai, India. Uh, Obviously, human trafficking exists in far more places than red light districts in places like Mumbai or Amsterdam. It's in every community across the globe, in fact, in our own backyards. But my first experience with it, my first encounter, was hearing about um, women being taken and uh, raped and abused in the red light district in Mumbai. Um, I was 17 or 18 years old. I am now 34. So I've known about it for a while. And, um, when I found out about it, it was from a nonprofit organization who works with indigenous groups in India to help them help their own people. And, um, from that moment I was marked I think we all hear of injustices in the world. We all hear of things that provoke us like nothing else can. And human trafficking provokes me more than any other injustice. Um, I'm forever changed by knowing of its existence, by wanting to see it ended. Um, And from hearing about that night at a banquet for this organization, um, I had to go to India. I had to go see these women. I had to go see these people. I had to see the land of India. I was changed. Um, uh, I was 17 or 18 years old and, you know, graduating high school, you're moving on, you're doing lots of big things. You hope they're big things at that point. And um, it was a number of years before Uh, I finally started actually working on that dream. So it was um, actually 10 years of wanting and desiring more than anything to go to India. Um, By that point, I was married, and my husband and I uh, decided to meet with a representative from that organization about just initiating talks about joining a team and and going to India. I just, uh, 10 years, I think that's the longest I've ever waited for anything uh, so far in my life. And to some that may seem like a really long time. And for some that may seem like, well, you didn't wait at all in comparison to their waits. Um, For me, that was a very long wait to want to do something so badly to have that 
need to go to India and I needed to go. I needed to see these women. I needed to see these children. I needed to see these victims. I, uh, there was just something and there still is. I'm just provoked. I'm marked. I'm changed. I'm altered. And that still remains, um, one of the things I want most in my life is to somehow impact these people for the better, somehow make things right for them, somehow call attention to what they experience and what they suffer day in and day out, night in and night out. And um, so 10 years to me was a long time. Um, so at that point, it was in 2012, I was 28. And um, it went that summer, I joined a team. And uh, I feel like I'm going really fast, but maybe I'm not. Um, this is such a, a deep story. And um, so I was on the team when we went to India. Um, you know, we, uh, we had a lot of prep. And there were some things you just can't prep for. You can't know what your body's going to do. You can't know how your, your mind and your emotions, how they're all going to react. But um, we got there. And um, I'm very thankful. I consider myself a very blessed, lucky person that I've breathed the air in India, that I've walked the streets, that I... <laughs> that I've been there, that I've met the people, that I've eaten the food, that I've, that I ever stepped foot, that I ever experienced India. I'm forever a very blessed, fortunate person. Um, immediately, however, <laughs> I think my body did not handle it well. Um, I've always struggled with insomnia. I can remember being a young child, maybe as young as five, and having trouble sleeping. So um, most of my life I've, I've struggled with getting good sleep and getting enough sleep and getting sleep at all. And so instantly upon getting there, um, I was sleeping maybe two or three nights a week. Uh, two or three nights, two or three hours a night, sorry. Um, so in, instant insomnia the first night. Um, um, another aspect of getting there was that um, these were people... Um, people of India, these were people that um, I wanted to see. I didn't just, I, it wasn't just about human trafficking. It was also about um, India, the, the land, the, the nation, the people of India. Um, and so getting to be in their country with them, getting to be among them was, um, it it was so humbling and so rocked me because I was just, I was shocked and I was, I didn't process it very well. I was really excited and really humbled and really broken in that, you know, I didn't, <clears throat> I always wanted to do missions. I always wanted to see people from other countries and other lands and other cultures, but it was just like, whoa, this is actually happening. And um, we went to a church service and um, at the end, I was asked to pray with the leader of our team for a little boy who had um, some kind of disability. Um, him and his grandma came up for prayer. 
and I was useless. Um, <clears throat> I just cried the whole time. I, there was so much, there's so much honor to me over the people of India, and there's so much of the Lord's love and delight for them that I feel when I'm with them and when I think about them. And this little boy needed prayer, and I was just crying. I couldn't even pray. I was completely useless. And so I, you know, I had instant insomnia. I was basically useless. My first interaction with people who knew the Lord and who wanted encouragement from people who came all the way from America. And so, um, again, that's why I would call this episode Failure in India. Um, and so we spent the next couple of days working with a ministry that does outreach to the prisons in India. Um, I think India is a second world nation or a developing nation. They have very urban, centralized, westernized, um, you know, capital, which is Mumbai, I believe. And, um, (laughs) our cats are running around like crazy as we record. Um, but there are remote areas of India that um, where the caste system that's legally not still in existence, but in practice it absolutely is still in, in play. Um, and so you just have a lot of complexities in their culture. And um, so the prison system is, I mean, I've heard about the prison system in Haiti, and I think the prison system in India is, you know, probably a notch above. Um, they're not well cared for. Access to justice is incredibly challenging. Um, they're jailed for just an accusation, many of the people. Um, they don't have counsel, you know, getting before a judge. You know, just our processes are not normal for them. And um, children who are five and younger are jailed with their mothers. Um, so they need people to come to them with food. They need people to come to them with water most of the time and medical care. And so <clears throat> the group that we worked with does does prison outreach, you know, tries to bring in lawyers, brings food, comes in and helps with the kids, you know, comes in and is a, tries to be a bright spot of, of counseling and maybe even therapy and just relationship for people who are stuck unjustly in the prison system in India. And so there, there, that's dark. (laughs) That is a heavy thing to do. I, I can't for a second imagine doing that all the time. Um, but we worked with this group for two days and I've never met more joyful people in my whole life. Literally joyful, full of joy. They laughed easily. They smiled all the time and the laughter was just it was nonstop. and they danced and they played and so we shared with them things we tried to be an encouragement we had fun with them which is really important for short-term missions you don't need to do their work for them you need to go and refresh them you need to go and enjoy with them. You need to go and believe in them and what they're doing and give them that encouragement, be a source of refreshing and be a source of fun. And I didn't understand that that at the time I'm understanding that more now, but, um, that's what we did. You know, we didn't try to do their work for them. Um, we did balloon animals and danced around and played and we talked about the Lord and we worshiped and 
<laughs> a lot of us gave little messages, little talks. I, I shared at one point as, as well. Um, and it's just, you know, you just are with them. You're just with them. You go there to be with them. You go there to support them and love them and demonstrate that you believe in them and what they're doing. Um, and the whole time, you know, I'm not sleeping at night. I'm having a hard time adjusting. And I think, you know, I, part of me wants to get upset with myself about that. And part of me is like, well, of course you have a hard time adjusting. You're literally halfway across the world. It was 12 and a half hours forward from, you know, Oregon. Um, so, you know, that was challenging. Um, the third, it was, I think it was actually the fourth day. Um, it was a Wednesday or Thursday. We woke up and it was supposed to be our day working with the team of only women that does the outreach into the red light district. We were, um, just going to spend the whole day with them. We were going to try to have fun. We were going to love on them. We were going to, um, you know, give some talks some messages. And, um, I woke up that morning sick. I had symptoms that I thought were, um, stomach virus symptoms. Cause I'd had the stomach virus a couple times leading up to that year. So I had some low back pain and I had some stomach pain and I was just, I had a fever and I, I wasn't feeling well. Um, but I was like, well, you know, it's probably a stomach virus. It'll probably go away. I'm fine. Um, and so it progressively got worse. Things usually get worse before they get better. Um, I was trying not to be too worried about it. And, um, it was getting worse throughout the day. And this was our day with the women who actually do the red light district ministry. I mean, I really wanted to be on for that day. I mean, this is why I came to India. This is why I carried the dream <laughs> and the the promise and the idea for 10 years. And um, so very disappointing to be sick. And um, it progressively got worse. And I was just sitting in the chair trying to be nice, trying to be happy, but I really couldn't do much. I was in a lot of pain. I was really sick. And um, I was... Uh, going to be speaking that day. And it was something I'd prepared for a few months um, and really meant a lot to me. It still does. And um, uh, I was going to be sharing, I, I shared about um, uh, shame and the messages that we can share with people to help remove the lies of the enemy. So I was feeling sick and um when I got up to speak, uh, immediately all pain left and I had energy. I hadn't had energy the whole time in India. And all of a sudden I had energy and no pain. And um, my friend on the team agreed to help me out during this message. And um, so in India they wear those scarves. I can't remember what they're called right now, but they wear those scarves. And they're usually pretty thin and even see-through. Well, we layered a bunch over her head. I think I had like five or six. So when you get that many, you can't see through them anymore. Um, and I was sharing with the team that actually does red light district work about um, we may not be able to remove them all right away or in an instant, all the lies of the enemy that are in these women's minds and hearts um, who are actually being 
raped and trafficked. Um, but every time we speak the truth to them, like, you are beautiful, you do matter, the Lord loves you, um, you do have a future and a plan, you're, you're going to be okay, um, you matter, you have worth. You know, every time we tell them the truth to confront a lie that they may be living in, it's like we remove a veil and they can see just a bit better. And um, my friend was breaking down. I was getting more and more energy. It was, it was one of those times where um, I've never felt the Lord like that before or since. I've never felt the Lord like that. I was sick. I was in India. I was, Jim did not go with me. I was alone. <laughs> I mean, I was on a team, but I was alone. And man, I've never felt the Lord like that. No one can ever talk me out of what happened. You know how we have experiences with the Lord sometimes, and sometimes we can be talked out of them. Like someone can say something, or we can talk ourselves out, and we can just kind of let go of something really special with the Lord. But that, I can't, there's no way to talk me out of that. That happened. Pain left, energy came. Fever left. And I think it was really impactful. It was really impactful for me. It changed me. I will never forget that. Um, and as soon as I sat back down, my bum hit the cushion pain came back, energy left, fever came back. I could barely smile. <laughs> it was, it was almost worse than before. Um, so that was really, it was kind of exciting that I experienced the Lord that way, but it was heartbreaking that it was just for those moments, you know, that the, that the illness came right back. Um, so the next day, um, was supposed to be actually going to the red light districts <laughs> because the ministry that works there is cultivating relationships with the women and doing a weekly Bible study and trying to gain their trust so that they, um, so that the women who are being trafficked will trust these, these team members to escape with them, to go to a safe home and to escape with them. So this is really intense, uh, important work. And, we were actually going to go there and spend time with the women and their children. And, um, I couldn't leave the hotel room. I didn't know at the time that I was really dehydrated. I knew I was in pain. <laughs> I was writhing in pain. Um, I had a fever. I couldn't sleep. I was, I was scared. I was really scared. I was scared out of my mind. And I thought that because I, I mean, scared out of my mind is key. Um, I thought that anxiety and stress, I thought that I was creating those, and I thought that I was making myself sick <clears throat> from anxiety. Now, mind you, I'm not even peeing anymore at this point, so you can imagine what else I was doing if I'm not peeing. Um... So I, I was legitimately sick, but I was also convinced. I was so shamed, not by anyone, but just I was taking on shame. And I was convinced that I had created this illness, that I had made myself sick, that I was failing the team, that I was failing people who had supported me, that I was failing my husband, that I was failing my parents. Um, 
it was really, really hard. And I was missing the whole reason I came to India. I went there to see those women, to see, I wanted to meet them. I wanted to look in their eyes and smile. I wanted to spend time with them. I wanted to do whatever I could to somehow communicate that they're important. That's why I came. That's why for 10 years I marched toward that goal. And I was stuck in a bed in a hotel room, barely able to eat, barely able to do anything a healthy person should do. (laughs) So I was really obviously disappointed, devastated, sick, confused, anxious, afraid, totally full of shame that I had just effed the whole thing up monumentally. (laughs) Um, So a couple days later, or a day later, I'm not sure the timeline anymore. It's been a while, but um, the the team, w- it was always supposed to be a two-week trip. We spent one week in Mumbai, and the next week we would spend on the eastern side of the country um, where tsunamis and, and stuff like that had happened, um, ministering in villages um, with children and women and, you know, seeing the farms that people had started, you know, to, for sustainable stuff like food and milk and things like that. And I had to make the decision whether or not I could go. It was it was up to me. And at the time, I really thought I was just failing. I really thought I was bailing. I really thought that I was making the wrong decision, that I had messed the whole thing up, like I said, and I just kept messing it up. I know now I made the right decision, but I did decide to come home. Um, so I was panically... Uh, talking to my husband and my dad and trying to get plane tickets out. This decision, this, this, this situation caused us to go into debt um, for a few years. So it was just, again, the topic, failure in India. It was big. Um, and so I, I came home. It was awful. It was, oh my gosh. Now, don't get me wrong, I love India, and I love the people of India, and I would go back today if I could. Um, But at that point, I wanted the the heck out of India. (laughs) Trying not to swear, it was really brutal. Um, So I had a, getting out of India, there was, I think we went through security three times at midnight. (laughs) And, um, oosh. I've never been through security like that. There was security like three times before getting on that plane. It was crazy. And um, so I met a random guy on the flight uh, who was on the flight. I met him before getting on. He was from Ohio. He had extra Cipro with him. I can't remember what the long form of that word is, but it's a generic antibiotic. And he was like, wow, you don't look very good. Um, My wife didn't come to India. I have her Cipro prescription. Would you like some? And I said, sure, I would love any help. Um, I mean, I probably, I mean, I was sick, so I probably didn't go, sure. I probably was like, oh, thank you. And um, <laughs> um, so I took that and I threw it up on the plane. But the guy came and found me again on the plane and gave me another. And um, I think that really helped. And it was a, it was a 16 hour flight from Mumbai to Jersey. 
And I was so, so thankful to be in America. I found some pasta. <laughs> like I found something starchy and bland and not in any way, shape or form Indian um, or Asian in any way. And so I ate that and I felt a little better. Um, flew to LA, ran through LA. LA is big. LAX is big. You don't want to run through LA when you're sick. But that's what I had to do, and I barely made the flight. And I got back to Portland, and my husband picked me up, and didn't you say I was gray? Like, I was gray. Like, I've been sick before from sinus infections, and I turned green. Like, my skin has literally turned green. But I don't think that I've ever been gray, because I was really sick. And mind you, I still thought that this was all in my head that I had created this quote-unquote sickness, that I wasn't really sick, that I was just crazy, neurotic, crazy, anxiety-prone, a mess, a horrible, horrible person who messed up something big. Um, so Jim takes me home, I sleep, I get up the next morning, I still don't think I'm sick. So I have some coffee and some berries you know, trying to get some healthy stuff in me and I immediately throw up. So then we're like, okay, you're probably sick. So Jim takes me to urgent care and this is where I find out that I'm dehydrated, uh, that I was dehydrated. I'm an easy stick. Like, you know, needle goes in, they get blood. It's not really very challenging with me. Um, it took him three tries and quite a while to get a blood draw from me. And so, um, that where it was like that's where it was like whoa I actually am sick, um, but I still was completely ashamed. Uh, I had a lot of support from my home church. I had a lot of support from different people that I've known throughout my life and the different places that I've I've lived and been. And um, people just believed in me. They supported me. They they were so amazing. I mean, I I couldn't be luckier. And I really believed that I had let them all down. So um, I really believed that I had let them all down, that I had failed them colossally, that, um, yeah, that I had just been the biggest disappointment, the biggest failure. So I went radio silence. I didn't blog. I didn't post on social media. I didn't email. I didn't text. I didn't call. I still had a second week off of work because I only spent one week in India, in India instead of two. So I just hid. I hid. And I hid for years. Um, I, I found out I was sick. I, you know, if that wasn't in my head. I really was sick. I got some kind of bacterial infection. They didn't say what. And I didn't ask because I was exhausted and confused. And I was had just lost one of the biggest things one of the things that meant the most to me in my life, I just lost it, and I was a little out of sorts, as you can imagine. And so all I know is that I had a bacterial infection. But um, again, I had lost something that meant the world to me for a long time. My entire adult life at that point, it meant the world to me. And um, so, yeah, I hid for a while. I was so eaten up with shame I was, I believed, I believed that I let everyone down. I believed that I couldn't be trusted with missions. I believed that I couldn't be trusted with people. I believed that I couldn't be trusted with 
international travel again. I believed that I couldn't ask anyone to believe in me or support me or help me ever again because I had let them all down so profoundly. I'd failed publicly. I'd failed with an audience and we all fail all the time. Um, but when you believe that you failed with an audience of like, you know, a community supporting you, that feels devastating. So I hid, I didn't talk to people, um, about that for years. Um, so I was still really dealing with it the following summer, the summer of 2013. And in August, it was so bad. Um, there were other circumstances in life. I got a job that I hated and, um, and I had really, really bad insomnia again. I had three months of insomnia straight. I was barely sleeping. <coughs> and, um, sorry. And, uh, in August of 2000, 2013, it got so bad, I was telling my husband I didn't want to live anymore. I was asking the Lord to let me die. I wasn't making any plans to physically carry out suicide, but I was mentally and emotionally on my way out. I was giving up. Um, the way I describe depression... Um, and loneliness and those other kind of coinciding feelings is that um, you feel like you're in the ocean and waves, just ocean waves don't stop cascading over you and you can't get your head above water, just wave after wave. And that's how I felt. So I was, I was on my way out in, in some ways, not physically yet, but that probably wouldn't have been far behind if it had been allowed to continue. And, um, I think one day, Jim, my husband, I don't know if he remembers, he said something like, the devil wants you gone or wants you dead or wants to take you out. <clears throat> and that moment changed everything. Because then it wasn't about my failure. It wasn't about my inability. It wasn't about what's wrong with me. Um... I was, I was born with complete heart block, um, so I have a pacemaker and a few other issues. And, um, you know, I wasn't supposed to make it, you know, through my mom's pregnancy with me. And then I wasn't supposed to survive birth. And then I wasn't supposed to live past two years old. I had open heart surgery when I was five. I almost died again when I was seven. So, <clears throat> there's been a, quite a few close calls in my life. <laughs> And so Jim saying what he said and me knowing my own history just flipped everything. It's not like I was healed in a moment, but it finally it was finally the key that shifted my perspective to okay. I the enemy has a goal here and I I need to not cooperate with it. <laughs> I need to not keep looking at myself and my failures and my inability and my weaknesses, there's plenty, but that should not be my focus. And so from then on, you know, I started talking to my parents about what was going on. I started actually like praying and having conversations with people. And, and then from, <clears throat> from then on, it was kind of the process of climbing your way out of the hole, you know, um, depression's like a hole, you know, you fall into and you're in the bottom, you can't get out. Um, suicide is like that too. Um, at least for me, 
um, that's the best visual I have for it. And so it was like, <clears throat> I guess kind of finally finding purchase in the wall, you know, for my feet, for my fingers, for my nails, you know, just to claw and climb out. And, um, so the Lord brought a lot of healing through that, through that perspective change. But I was still, I still believed the shame narrative about what happened with India. I still believed it was my fault. I still believed that I failed. I still believe that I <clears throat> sinned, that I wasn't, that I heard the Lord wrong, that I heard the Lord profoundly wrong, and I messed up by going. <clears throat> you know, because we were in financial debt from the ticket back and it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's over $2,000. And we were not doing well then. And um, so there was just a lot of evidence for me that I was the one in the wrong. And um, so for a number of years, I just, I didn't even entertain missions again. I didn't entertain. And I've, I've always been drawn to missions. Like, if you tell me about, like, some slum, some hole in the earth where women and children are taken advantage of, I'm I'm instantly in my heart, like, well, I need to go there. I need to go wrap my arms around them. I need to go jump in that hole with them. I need to go jump in that dirt. I need to be with them. That's just kind of, <clears throat> for as long as I can remember, been what I what I want, how I perceive my role on the earth. And so for years, for a few years after India, um, I was just, no, I, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. I can't be trusted with that. And it really was this belief. I can't be trusted with that. Lord, you can't trust me. People can't trust me. So, uh, I think probably around, um, uh, I want to say 2016, 2015 or 2016, so, you know, a few years after India, um, the Lord started kind of speaking to me about um, international missions again, and I shut him down repeatedly. This is how I know we can say yes or no to the Lord, because I said no. I said no for a couple of years. Every time it would, it would kind of be put on my heart, I'd be like, no, Lord, you already know that we can't do that. And I've said no to the Lord other times too. And, uh, it, it usually doesn't work out for me, but, um, he just kept bringing it up. And then I, I read a book by Heidi Baker. If anyone knows who she is, she's a full-time missionary in Mozambique, um, in whew, rough, rough situations. And, um, she wrote this book, she wrote several books, but, um, one of her books called Always Enough, I think, um, she writes about getting sick a few times on the mission field. And one time she had to come back to North America for a few months to get well and to recuperate. I think she was in Canada uh, recuperating and getting better. And so the same time the Lord's kind of speaking to me again about international missions, I'm reading about and getting exposed to people's stories where they have gotten sick on the mission field. So I'm starting to hear uh, the idea that you're not, the, the idea that you are allowed to get sick on the mission field. I thought I'd failed because I got sick. I thought that's something, you know, that you're not allowed to do. 
on the mission field. And um, so I was starting to hear stories. I had a friend who went um, to the same ministry, Iris Ministries in Mozambique, and she got sick there as well. And um, very briefly, thank you, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> but I was starting to get exposed to stories where life happens, where we get sick because we've never been somewhere and we go there and our bodies are like, what? <laughs> what is this? I don't like it. Um, they're pretty temperamental, our bodies. But um, so the Lord was just really good to me and really merciful and really gracious and really helped me walk through this all so slowly um, <clears throat> and so uh, tenderly unraveling the shame and unraveling um, the guilt and the oppression and the, the loss and the disappointment and the fear of that again. And um, we found this church. We moved to Central Oregon and we found this church. If you're ever in Central Oregon, check out Grace Gate Community Church. For me, it's been a really healing place. In um, <clears throat> it was either late winter or early spring of 2017, the pastor's wife gave a, spoke a message on Onesimus in the book of Philemon. And um, her, a lot of what she was talking about was not wearing things that we're not supposed to wear. So not wearing a past mistake or a past failure or a sin or shame. Those aren't things we're meant to wear. Those aren't things we're meant to be identified with. Those are not our identify identity. They're not our identifiers. They're not who we are, what we failed at, what we've, where we missed the mark, where we've heard the Lord wrong, where we've misunderstood, where we've failed, where we've lost something. Those aren't our identity. And um, <clears throat> I'd known for a number of years that there was a specific person I was supposed to talk to about what happened in India because they knew the ministry I went with, they knew the people, they knew the situation. And so I know I needed to talk to them because this whole time I'd just been dealing with my perspective. I hadn't gotten outside perspectives, which is really unhealthy. Um, <clears throat> so this message is spoken. I'm wrecked. I think that's one of the things that's changed me forever. I was wrecked. I knew it was time to talk about India with someone. <clears throat> so this person happened to come up to us right after service. And I was like, can I talk to you? <laughs> and so we went um, and talked and I broke down. I was, I, I think probably everybody when they cry, you know, when they talk and cry at the same time, it's terrible. And that's what I was doing. I was trying to get my words out, but I was weeping. And um, <clears throat> among the, the many really amazing things that this person said to me was that um, you didn't plan to get sick. That is so powerful. No, I didn't. I did not plan for 10 years to go to India and get sick and miss the whole reason I went there. No. I didn't plan to get sick. I'm I'm one of those people who doesn't view things in life as happening to me. I, I usually am I view things as, oh, this happened in my life and I'm I'm an active participant. I am responsible to interact with the Lord, to interact with the situation and respond instead of react. I get to help determine the outcome of whatever this is. So something's not happening to me. I get to decide what happens as a result. So 
But him saying you didn't plan to get sick was like, oh my gosh, this happened to me. I didn't create it. I didn't make it happen. I didn't go there with the intention of getting sick and incurring debt and missing out. And that was a really, that was a turning point um, that really helped set me free of a lot of shame. Because up to that point, I viewed myself as predominantly responsible for everything that happened. Hence, I couldn't be trusted to do it, to go do missions again because I would do it again. And um, <clears throat> I still think it's fair to say I'm not good at missions. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a lot of practice since India. Um, I had practice before and I loved it. But um, So I think it's still fair to say that I'm not very good at it, but I will do it now without the knowing that it's allowed to be human, that it's allowed that things will happen out of our control. Um, and so, again, just the mercy and the graciousness, the kindness, the crazy love of God for a few words to totally set me free. And so, um, so I, I share this, um, because I can identify with losing something that means a lot to you, with the disappointment of that, with blaming yourself and the shame of, of loss. Because that was a loss. That was a loss that deserved mourning. That was a loss that still impacts me. Um, I've since had the opportunity to hear more stories of people uh, through my church they uh, had some people who went on missions, on missions trips earlier this year come share about what happened with them. And a couple of people got sick in their various mission fields, um, Haiti and Iraq. And um, they were, you know, either, either they were stuck in an infirmary or they were just like stuck in their hotel room or bunk room for a time. And just hearing that it does happen, that sometimes we do have to walk through that disappointment and that loss and then it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to determine the future. It doesn't have to um, determine who or what we are or our capabilities or abilities or or what we're permitted to do. Because I didn't think I should be permitted or allowed to do missions. I was like, won't people, if I say I want to do missions again, won't they be like, what? You let us all down last time. And maybe they wouldn't say it to my face, but... I was afraid they'd be thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> we we could do, you know, we support someone who will actually like fulfill um, what they're going there to do. And so hearing other stories um, really helped me, really has brought a lot of healing, a lot of understanding. And that's part of why I'm sharing this, that if you've lost, you know, if you feel like you failed, if you feel like you missed out on the one opportunity there's, there's no way that's true. Um, I'm, you know, a, a part of walking out this healing is that the Lord's, a, you know, I've been asking the Lord for opportunity f for international missions again with a focus on human trafficking. And um, so I found an organization and I'm actually on a team next year to go to Cambodia and Thailand. And I am scared. 
I'm not an idiot. I still remember. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like just because of healing, my memories wiped clean. I still remember the feelings. I still remember the overwhelmed. I still remember the insomnia. But I also remember what it was like to breathe the air, what it was like to step foot on Indian soil, what it was like to be with them. And so I've got, I've got mo- both memories and I'm walking it out with the Lord and yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm nervous. Yeah, I struggle with trusting myself that I'm doing the right thing. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if I'm hearing the Lord all the time. Every time there's another step in the process, I'm like, oh man, am I, did I hear you, Lord? Or am I just trying to fix a previous wrong? Or am I trying to, you know, feel better about myself or whatever? Um, so, you know, just if you've experienced loss, if you've experienced losing out on something that meant the world to you, that's not the end of the story. Um, India was not the end of my story. The following summer when I wanted to die was not the end of my story. Um, and so we, I, I just really believe I wanted to step out with this story. I wanted to throw my hat in the ring and be brave and be honest, be real. Um, <clears throat> with what I've walked through with um, shame and with loss and with disappointment and with losing something and with um, punishing myself for it and, and being gently walked out of that by the Lord and by other people and by other people's stories. I mean, the Lord's so good, but one of the ways he's so good is that other people are honest and he lets me hear it. He puts me in a position where I hear their honesty where I hear their bravery, where I hear their accounts and their testimony. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. I'm not crazy. I'm not missing it. I'm not in fantasy land. That really did happen. And those realizations, those moments of liberty have come from hearing other stories. So I want to encourage you listeners. I want to provoke you listeners to share your stories, to get brave, to listen to other people's stories and reflect on your own and consider. Consider that you have a story. Consider that your story is not over. Consider what more you can mine from it, like a, like a mine. <clears throat> consider what more you can find and dig up from your own story. And going forward and, and what you want the rest of the story to be. What I want, I mean, I'm sure I'll experience more heartache in my life. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll experience more loss. Um, but I, I don't want my story to be that I hid, you know, that I stopped, that I assumed anything about the future, that I assumed anything about myself that was, that was less than what I'm passionate about. Um, so please be encouraged listeners and thank you so much for joining me today.